Welcome to the Heroes at Home podcast, where we believe heroes can thrive both at work and at home. This podcast is for those who stand watch while we sleep, who run into buildings while others run out, for those who deploy to hard places to have hard fights, and for the families that support them. Through candid conversation, we will discuss the side of things that don't get glorified in the media, what happens when they come home. We'll be talking with heroes from all walks of life and their partners, children, friends, and beyond, so together we can build a stronger family. I'm Noel Metter, CEO, joined by my co-host, Kenny Thomas. Mr. Thomas. Hey, happy beginning of the week. Yeah. Man, it feels like just things are just piling on itself and piling on itself. And I'm just like, okay, can I get a breath of fresh air before the next thing hits? So it's that pace right now. I know that's been the pace for you, but outside of work, what's going on with you? Well, thanks for asking. We have up here in the north, bordering the Canadian border, it's, it's finally spring. They told me it'll last for another, you know, I think we get two more weeks of this and then it's winter again. So I'm trying to enjoy. I'm coming to Texas this week. I've got a, I've got an event down there and then I go straight from Texas up to, um, Seattle, to Oregon, Oregon. I was in Oregon last week, actually Vancouver. Beautiful state. Gosh, man, it is, it is. And, uh, the remnant of Portland is still beautiful. And that was the, you know, I mean, how much they've burned down and all the craziness that's happened over the last couple of years is still a beautiful little city. So it's funny, Noel, that, that you said Portland. One of the things that I'll tell every audience around the nation where I go is I've been to every city in America. I, it's been a really cool thing. And I've seen the North and the South, and I've met their left and the right. And I can promise you, without a doubt, like even what our guests are going to talk about, is like we all, everybody wants the same thing with the exception of Portland. Like, those, I don't know what they want. That city's a little odd. Yeah. Keep things weird is their motto up there. Uh, that's for sure. But speaking of spring, man, uh, this is our first time in Dallas going through this whole spring and it has been crazy. Like literally I went on a trip, everything was brown, which is typical of Texas during, you know, this time. And then I come home and it was like, I don't know, a four day trip. I come back and we have like green leaves on the trees. I mean, everything is like, literally has turned the color from brown to green in a matter of like four days. And I don't know if this is just unique to this year and what's going on in the season. But I told Chris, I said, this is like literally someone out, went outside and painted all of the trees green while I was gone, which is kind of apropos to our conversation and who we're going to be talking about today, because literally the landscape of this couple, Scott and Susan, is taking a landscape of brown, like ugly, ugly brown, and redesigning it, repainting it to this gorgeous green. And you're going to hear more about their story in terms of betrayal, the lack of trust, affair, all the things that would categorically take out a couple in a matter of them working through a process and defining some time and a lot of commitment to work. They've seen themselves to the other side. So Super excited to have them join us. This is going to be unique in the sense that we're going to interview Scott first and then Susan so we can get both sides of their story. Noel, you're getting to be a master segwayer. That was really good. <laughs> it just hit me, man. With my green shirt on, I'm like, you know what? I can do the transition. Let's do the it. Brown of winter into the beautiful green of spring. <laughs> With that, we're going to jump right in.
I'm super excited about this interview with Scott and Susan. And this one, just for our listeners' sake, just so you know, we're actually going to be interviewing them separately. So this week, you're going to be hearing from Scott and his story, one that I consider kind of sacred space. Not very many people are vulnerable and willing to share like he has shared. And then the same is true of Susan. And we'll, you know, not to leave you guys on a cliffhanger, but their story is one that I think many couples have wrestled through. Many have not been able to say they've made it to the other side. And yet these two are here today to share in the heartbreak of all heartbreaks and the difficulties and the challenges that are faced when it comes to marriage, they've actually been able to contend and heal and get to the other side. So without any further ado, Scott, thank you so much for jumping in here, sharing with us. Tell us a little bit about your background, because what is probably unfamiliar to many is the fact that you're a cop but you've also been in the journey of dealing with trauma and all the things that come with it. Let's start there and just unpack for the, our listeners a little bit about your background in law enforcement. It's a miracle I'm here, and I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to be here and kind of share our story and hopefully give people a little bit of hope and, and inspiration uh, moving forward. This is my 25th year being in law enforcement. Started as a 22-year-old kid straight out of the Marine Corps where I was a Marine infantryman and fast company before that. The journey of law enforcement has been certainly one that's up and down. I would say overall, it has been a good journey. It has provided well for me and my family, but it's come with uh, certainly many challenges along the way. I don't think anybody escapes a trauma-based profession without you know having some scars uh, along the way. We could spend two hours talking about 25 years in law enforcement, but I've been in multiple bad car wrecks. Went through a 90 degree turn at 70 miles an hour and caught fire, which was my own fault. Been a passenger in a squad car that went into a rock wall at 50 miles an hour. That was no fun. Been shot at and seen tons of people with unfortunately holes in them. And somebody tried to stab me along the way once. And, you know, just have been around long enough to see, sadly, friends get murdered simply for wearing what they wear and standing up for what they stand up and taking an oath to protect and defend their community and their constitution. Well, just listing off what you just listed off is enough to, for anyone to say that has to have had a significant impact on your life. And yet knowing your story, and I want to open that up to the listeners, it's not just your profession that has created some of the challenges that you've walked through. It's also about family of origin. What is your story? And what and today, what are we really talking about? And I think it goes back to, you know, you and Susan and some choices that you made along the way be, due to trauma, due to family of origin that left you guys in a really precarious, difficult place. So maybe if we can jump right into that, I think that would be helpful for those who are listening. Yeah, for sure. A life of avoidance, compartmentalizing, and just sucking it up and driving on manifested itself in me not knowing how to cope with any of it and then not being too prideful to admit or ask for any sort of help. About five years ago, I was trying to hold everything together, but God gave me that great and terrifying <laughs> grace of falling on my face and being found out in an affair outside of the marriage. And I'd been in about a, a three-month affair at the time. And my, my mindset, I was checked out. I was, I was gone. I, I was so outside of reality and so far gone from what I'd even remembered 
on the outside looking in, you'd see a beautiful family, beautiful wife, two amazing kids all squared away. And I was living a double life. I was trying to hold all that together as best I can by wearing, you know, whatever mask was necessary to make it through the day, but also escaping reality by chasing fantasy through seeking affirmation, affairs outside the marriage. And it wasn't the first. And, you know, uh, the reality was, is that I had been coping for many years with uh, escaping from reality through seeking affirmation from other people. And then I hid because I was afraid like so many people do when they're scared of losing what they love, but don't believe that they deserve. Yeah. And I think this element of falling flat on your face is, you know, one that many can identify with, many have experienced, but for you, what, what was so crucial about that moment? And if you're, if it's okay, maybe press a little bit deeper into kind of how did that unfold in your guys' relationship? Because I think it is germane to those who are listening that maybe potentially are either on the side of betrayal or actually are, you know, living that double life, that double standard. And they are in the midst of considering what's in front of them. Uh, or maybe they're not even considering what's in front of them. They don't realize what is ahead of them. And, and I, I think, you know, the way this was found out and kind of that, what transpired was a pretty defining moment in your life. Is that correct? Oh, hundred percent. I would say life altering. I would say that I spent the better part of, well, certainly my marriage and my entire life creating circumstances that led me to this point where I needed to die in essence to have, you can't have a, a resurrection without a death. Right. And so I, I needed to, and what, what did that look like? Oh man, it looked like me growing further and further and further away from what was real in a relationship and then blaming my wife for the reason that we were further and further and further apart. It was justification. It was, um, like I said, and I was convinced that, you know, it was done and I blamed others. I blamed my wife for, you know, circumstances and leading to this. And, and I didn't see a pathway forward and I was completely checked out. So when she started really pushing me full court press and her intuition kind of kicked in and she was like, yeah, you know, all your tricks and stuff that you've played out over the years, like, uh, and, and certainly Susan will, will speak to, to that and kind of the signs and, and the things that she was kind of seeing led us to a place where I got called out and I couldn't weasel my way out of truth because that's what happens when people get scared, right? Uh, they're afraid, you, you know, it's terrified. On one hand, I don't want to lose all of this that I actually really do love, but I've done so much over so long. And it's all come from a root of not believing that I was ever really worthy of any of it. And that gets deep, you know, and we'll talk about that, you know, those origins and those deep roots a little bit later, but that's the reality of how I came to that place. And, and it took sitting down with some mentors a pastor who I uh, respected very much as a father figure who I did not want to meet with. <laughs> Weird, right? When people are getting ready to call you out and you know it in truth and love, that, that tends to be a meeting that you don't want to be a part of. But by God's grace, somehow, some way I made it there to that. And I had to start really facing the reality of where I was and that I needed to make a choice. 
because once the trickle truth started to come out, because I'd love to sit here and tell you that I had the courage to, you know, be expressive of everything that I was dealing with, but that's just simply not accurate. Uh, it took me time and feeling incremental pain to realize, wow, bro, you actually got a problem. You know, you got some real issues that are way deeper than the behavior that you're exhibiting. Yeah, and, and so one question that comes to mind is for you, Scott, you know, generally when an affair is found out or there's that revealing of truth, that moment of truth, it's somewhat of a conceal and hide as much as possible and allow it over time to then play it played the, the course of which it's going to run. Was that true of you? And I guess, you know, one way that it's been described is like the trickle, trickle truth, right? Like over time, things are revealed and it seems like each time more and more is found out. And it's the, the damage of that is can be so difficult. So for you and Susan, and again, just because we are live on video, Susan, thank you so much for being on this call. And I just want to get your reaction too. So Scott, answer that for me. And then Susan, I want to get your reaction of like, when all this came out, like what was kind of your initial feelings and thoughts? Yeah, I could say for sure. I didn't have a clue what I was doing or how to navigate forward. I was on a course where I felt like I was completely alone, had no guidance no book, no, uh, no direction on how do you proceed forward in this. And so uh, I've learned a lot since, and I would love to, you know, be able to provide some of those resources to perhaps other people who find themselves in the same scenario that I did. But at the time, I didn't know how to, I didn't know there was an actual process to disclosure. I didn't know, you know, anything about the magnitude. Well, I had a sense of how traumatic it might be, but I didn't understand. I was focused on me. I was focused on my pain, right? And not concerning myself on bigger on what is my wife navigating? What is this nuclear bomb uh, of trauma that I've just dropped in her lap look like? And that's kind of understandably why she couldn't be around me anymore. I wasn't safe to her, rightfully so. And we separated and, you know, I was out of the home. And at that point, I really needed to get real with where I was, where did I want to go? And then of course, how did I even get here? Because I got to understand uh, a bit about my past and how I got here before I can truly and move forward in a, an effective way. I love that. And I do want to dig into that. But for a moment, Susan, can you just share with us kind of the initial response, your emotions, your feelings when this, this nuclear bomb was dropped? That sit down with pastor, you know, Scott had revealed, you know, nine years prior that he had a relationship. And in my mind, I was like, he said relationship, like what in the world? And, and so, but then he said something else that made me know that there is more. And so, you know, our pastor was like, go home, talk to Susan, get everything out in the open. And so we went home and I just started asking him questions and he started revealing all this information. And I'm sitting here like <laughs> trying to make sense of it in my head. And it was really, really rough time um, because I was in shock and I still hadn't I was trying to process the information. And then a few days after that, Scott was saying things like, oh, I need to find like myself and, you know, where I want to be in life. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. He just dropped this bomb on me and he's talking about how he needs to find, you know, 
just my intuition really kicked in and I started asking more questions. And so then it came out that he was currently having the affair. And, you know, the two weeks were really hard because I was now that I know I was dealing with some trauma and trying to make sense of things in my head just wasn't a reality at that point. And so for me, I knew that we needed to separate in order for myself to find some stability and some clarity. But still, even after separation, you know, not knowing how to navigate this, there was still more trickle truth that would happen in the weeks following to come. And that ultimately, like learning more specific information, I was done. And I just couldn't, you know, deal with it at that point. I want to save that because for our listeners, we're going to hear from Susan in the next episode where we're going to circle back with her because, you know, when she shares that this trickle truth as it started coming out, my natural inclination is to ask the question of, was that helpful or hurtful, right? And I'm sure that there's both sides of that that you can share. But for today's purposes, we're just going to press into Scott's story. And so, Scott, I do want to circle back and Kenny... Feel free to jump in when you want. But I, I want to circle back because I think what is so profound about this story is not just the trauma and and not only the affair and you know being you know found out. I think that's a pretty common place in our society, but it's actually the process that you have since gone on this journey. Like, what does that look like? And there actually is a process for people to be able to one deal with for their own sake, their own trauma, but also ultimately to even be able to sit where you guys are sitting today. That didn't just come about because of chance, right? There was there was design behind that. There was a process in place. There was support around you. So let's launch into that. How do you begin to navigate the trauma in your own life, the stuff that you've been, you know, holding, suppressing and repairing a relationship? One of the the memories that comes to mind straight away is even though I would embark upon the most painful season in my entire life. And I felt like I've been through a little bit of stuff in life, but this was by far the deepest and most visceral pain that uh, I have ever experienced in my life. But that's key because had I not felt that pain, I promise you, I wouldn't have done the real deep work to change. It wouldn't happen because I had spent a lifetime trying to avoid pain. I've heard it said that addiction is actually just grief interrupted. If you marinate on that one for a second, it's pretty profound to think about, right? Addictions are just things that people go to. It doesn't matter what they are. It's a brain issue, right? To try and medicate pain that we're experiencing. Why are we experiencing pain? Because we haven't been able to grieve something, whatever it is. I've gotten here because... I haven't been able to grieve uh, many things in my life. And that starts with uh, the family of origin. So fast forward to what, what did Scott learn in that season? Well, I learned that I basically got what I was asking for. That sounds weird. What the heck are you talking about? It does sound weird. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if you think about it this way, in, inside me, there was this, this, this rupture, this tearing that comes with living outside of alignment with your true value system, right? Anytime you live out of alignment, there's internal conflict. And I had lived outside of alignment for so long. On one hand, I wanted nothing more than to be fully known, fully seen and loved and accepted in that. 
On the other hand, I know it wasn't possible in my mind. I knew there's no way that it's possible to be fully known, especially given the context of my life and the things that I have done along the way. It wasn't a possibility. So I drew that conclusion and lived my life as if it was fact. So now fast forwarding to this season of being found out, and this is why I call it God's great and terrifying grace to be able to be there, is, well, I can pursue it forward in, in truth. And sometimes that ain't pretty, uh, but it's honest. And I could come to that place where it's like, you know what? I don't know what happens next. I don't know if there's any hope for this relationship. I don't know any of it because right now it sure doesn't feel like it, but I know this. I can choose to be different. I can choose to do the work. I can choose to, because it's what I want to be anyway. And so my healing and my pathway forward is not tied to what ultimately happens with my relationship. Because if it were, I would ride this wave, right? If she smiles at me, man, I'm way up. If she cusses me out because I'm an idiot, then I'm, I'm catastrophizing it. And I ride this wave all over the place. And I get it. I've talked to, at this point, dozens and dozens of men who understandably have gotten on that and ridden that wave and just try to get them to take a deep breath and recognize that to have the true, real, deep stuff, uh, personal change, you can't tie it to your relationship with another person. Was that revelation, was that in context of a counselor, a mentor, a friend? I mean, like, or was that just you, Scott, realizing if I'm ever going to heal and I'm actually going to do the hard work, I've got to do this independent of any relationship? I think that there are so many different places. I think that it was critical for me to have a foundation in faith, even though it had been overgrown and eroded and I had trashed it and I had disrespected it. And I had, you know, but at the end of the day, there was still a foundation in faith. So I knew there was a redemption story somewhere. You know what I mean? I, I had to have hope and draw it from something, you know, a man with no hope has no future. And sometimes I needed to get that hope from people who love me. <laughs> you know, sometimes I needed to borrow it because I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. You know, I was going through my own trauma, as silly as it sounds. Well, Scott, you created it. Okay, cool. Doesn't make it less of a trauma, a traumatic event. And so having my pastor give me some counsel and, and walk with me, that same one who led me to the Lord a long time ago, over 20 years ago, also called me out in truth, in love, right? Also didn't leave me. Also stood beside me, didn't condemn me or judge me, right? And But was like, hey, Let's get you some help. Hey, you know, if you're really wanting to do this, filter it through this lens. Everything you say and do, ask yourself, is it the wise thing to say and do? And then he provided me a scripture. And again, my faith's been fundamentally important to us in this journey. And if you don't mind me sharing, I'm going to share it. Would you say that faith, that faith journey has been the primary dominant force or has there been other pieces of like counseling with behavioral counseling and that kind of stuff? What, what, where, where has that kind of led? Yeah, I think all of the above for sure. I would say faith has been one table leg. I think that for sure going and seeing a professional counseling straight away, something I refused doing. My wife came to me years and years and years ago, essentially begging me. And in my pride, I wouldn't do it. I really wish I had <laughs> in hindsight, but I didn't. 
But this was a place where I was like, okay, you know, and I was willing and I was open. And I started working with uh, therapists that specialized in some of my struggles. And I started to begin to understand like, one, I wasn't alone. I wasn't some uniquely broken human being that was so disgusting and far from redeemable. That's the narrative that I would play in my head, of course, but that's a lie. That's just simply not true. And so, you know, getting into support communities, you know, groups where men's groups were led by my, my counselor, you know, all those things were incredibly helpful going to places like celebrate recovery and, and faith places. I'd never would have gone. No, I would have stood outside in the parking lot the week before and judged everybody walking in there. Promise you would have, would have done it. But when you get to a place where you're so over being prideful, where you're so over masking your own insecurities by judging other people, it's a game changer. Yeah. And I, you know, just knowing enough about your guys' story, like the beauty of what this process, as painful as it was, led you through is not just this redemption of your own story, but I think unpacking much of what your childhood exists to play a part. And again, not to, I think sometimes people can use their childhood as the victim card. Like, oh, it's just because of my childhood that I am this horrible person today. But then the other, on the other token, too many people overlook their childhood and don't realize how drastically it, it is defining the decisions they're making today. So for you, what, where did that, because I know that played a part in understanding why did you do what you did and why did you live that life, that double standard life for so long? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. It's kind of what I wanted to focus on today. Where I really want to focus is something I did deny my whole life was the impact of my my roots, the impact of my childhood, because I've subsequently learned that all those traumas matter, you know, and if they're undealt with, they stack on each other. And at some point, you'll reach your breaking point. And so just to go, Scott, what are you talking about? Well, for me, my dad is a uh, was he's deceased now, but he's a former uh, Marine infantryman, combat uh, veteran of Vietnam. And uh, he and my mother were separated uh, when I was born, actually, after five years of marriage and then divorced shortly thereafter. From my understanding and dealing with talking to my mother, there's a lot of abuse and neglect and manipulation in that home. He evidently even pulled a gun on her at one point, you know, threatening her. And so this is kind of the environment. She needed to escape from that, which she was able to. And she got full custody, my dad, visitation. Well, I was three and a half years old for Christmas, 1978. He had been plotting ways where he could, I guess, make the ultimate power move uh, of control and hurt my mother. And he actually ended up taking me and planning false leads for uh, the authorities. And he had a plan. It wasn't like he just did it on a whim. He had been researching and had a plan. Ultimately ended up going south. I was in Cleveland, Ohio, went south. We met up with some people in Texas that had an underground system where you could get false identities, birth certificates and the like. And from that moment on, we became someone different. And we ultimately ended up in Seattle because my understanding, he had never been here, but it had mountains and rainier beer. Apparently that's uh, that's prerequisite for uh, his uh, alcoholic criteria. But that's kind of how we ended up here. And I would spend the next six years of my life living in a very dysfunctional home that was built on lies, betrayal, 
abuse, unhealthy sexuality, and all, all those things. I was manipulated into believing my mother was dead. And so I always kind of had this, this hole, this gap that existed. And it was interesting because I was talking to my psychologist about the reality is I don't remember much of anything before I'm nine years old. And he went on to tell me why, you know, from a brain science standpoint. He said, Scott, your brain was spending all of its energy surviving. There wasn't room for memory. There wasn't room for any of that, right? Uh, and so it's just really interesting to go, wow, okay. But that doesn't mean that things didn't happen in that time, just because you can't remember. And it doesn't mean that even your body doesn't remember things as well. That's kind of, for me, my fundamental root fears in life have revolved around rejection, abandonment, this idea of I got to do everything in life on my own because that was my reality. There wasn't anybody coming to save me. You know, I needed to figure out how to survive, how to fight. And so that is the context of my life. And it had really massive consequences, No, Like I was extremely angry, bitter, and hurt. If you said the word love in my general vicinity, it evoked a massive anger response. I got pissed that that word would even exist. I never said it. It took me years and years and years and years to even utter the word love. So that is kind of the framework around now you try to enter into your teen years, late teen years, and establishing some relationships. And weird, <laughs> I didn't do it well. I had no framework, no point of reference to really understand what real relationship looked like, what real intimacy looked like. I was completely drawing straws, perhaps off of movies or whatever I could to be the opposite of what my experience was. Unfortunately, I've learned, subsequently learned that the opposite of bad is not good. <laughs> like it doesn't work that way. You can't just do the opposite of what your dad did. And then all of a sudden you'll end up good. Scott, first of all, because you unloaded a ton of, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to pat you on the back and say, I think you're just a, just a simple fact of understanding your root fears and being aware of them is such an uncommon and varsity level of awareness where you're at as a human, <laughs> That the core of most of what we see out there where people, they don't understand that. They don't understand that you get, that your body keeps the score and that your emotions are wired early on and they, these things get trapped inside you. And just the understanding that where your root core came from is such a, man, it, it, it's such a high level of thinking. Most people are pretty JV when it comes to their emotions. And I just want to commend you for that. If you understand where your root causes are and you can recognize that, how do you tie that to the reconciliation? How does that help you? Where's the value of understanding where your root fears come from? Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, it took this, Kenny, to get there is the reality. You know, it took all of this to get to that awareness and that understanding because I did do life. Basically, suck it up, drive on, don't acknowledge the pain, and somehow it won't be. Well, you can't heal a wound by pretending it's not there. It's not the way it works. 
and pain that's not transformed will be transmitted. So now going through the process, right, of transforming the pain, so I'm not passing it on to people I love. So generations are not getting it passed on. And so this whole thing, while it, it took me the better part of, I guess, 42 years to get to that point that you're talking about, Kenny, of doing the work required to ascertain uh, who am I really? Am I willing to go there? And am I willing to figure out who am I? Why was I built this way? What has it cost me right before? And how can I now use that? How can I use all of it for something good? Right? Because I think that's our greatest power in life comes from our ability to take our pain, our hurts, our story and reframe it and turn it on its head and let it now be something that can be used for good. And that's why I appreciate being here today, because that's exactly what we're trying to do is express our heart, you know, forward to answer your question, man, we've done so much work together to get to this place. So what we've learned in this experience is part of what was Scott was missing was that nurturing in a mother's love. And so when you aren't nurtured as a young child, you do not know how to love somebody else. And so he did the best that he could to try to love me and to love our kids and to love other people. But he didn't even love himself because he was so confused on who he was. And so it was really like coming to the end of himself and really dealing with that whole thing is really kind of what propelled him forward and really getting that knowledge and acknowledging it and, you know, really doing that, that work. The value of what we're hearing, if the four of us here were to pare this down, we would tell you that it's really quite simple. It's pretty simple in that you have, what I just heard you saying is the board has to be wiped clean. You have to reach bottom. And the thing that lets us know that we're so off path and we're so misaligned and we're so non-congruent is pain. And when we finally get to a place where there's enough pain, we're like, all right, what do I got to do to heal this? And then we start, then we start over and you start creating a new self and that new self, in order to do that, you, you kind of learn who the old person was and where some of the that incongruency came from. And I think where we're at now is now you have a couple here that has gone through that. Scott went, he had to die to himself. And now he's at a place where he can provide the guidance of what other people who were in his place. And I think that's, that's the beauty of what we're able and why we're so happy to have you as a guest. But that's, I think that's a beauty. The whole point of creating this series is to get people who have done the hard work, have become a new person, and have made that choice to help others and do something good with their story. And that's something Noel and I talked about that. Like if I were to call up Scott and say, hey man, we got this show called, you know, Heroes, and we want you in your and the first thing you're gonna say is, man, I'm I'm not the hero. But what if we recreated the story of what a hero is? It's a person who's gone through something terribly tough and then came out on the other side for the benefit of others. And I think that's where we're at right now. I know that this, I needed to do my part to walk my side of the street. I know that, but I promise you if this beautiful, amazing human being next to me wasn't willing to acknowledge that she needed to walk on her side of the street, regardless of if we'd ever be in relationship again, 
regardless of that and actually move forward and do her work, there's no chance we're here. There's no chance that we're sitting here because this has changed my entire life. Like you said, Kenny, it has, it has led me to this place where the lies that I believed, man, if people really know you, bro, they won't love you. They won't accept you. You know, those are lies that are implanted in someone, at least me, from, I mean, from Jump Street. So to come to this place where you see me, all of me, and it ain't pretty, and you love me still, and you're able to navigate and move forward, grace is a game changer. Changes everything. Changes the cosmos. It's true. And I think not only that, but there's something, the way we're wired as humans, from a place of empathy and vulnerability that when someone steps into that place of vulnerability to share their story like you have, Scott, it not only draws us to that person to say, man, I love this guy because he's being vulnerable, he's being real, but it also inspires us to be better, right? And I think that the invitation oftentimes, I'll speak to for men, oftentimes it's we're constantly putting out what we think others want to see. But in reality, we're hiding the very thing that is who we are, right? And until we get vulnerable with that, so often it doesn't unlock the ability for deep connection, deep friendship, right? I mean, there's the casual friendship that many of us know about, right? Like you've seen parts of who I am, but you haven't seen really who I am. So I have to think that when we get vulnerable, when we get deep like you have, it just creates a different atmosphere. It creates a different culture around us in terms of being known. And for others to let down their guard and say, yeah, I don't got it all together. Like I'm hurting, I'm hurting inside, right? Which is such a powerful thing, Scott. Thank you for, for sharing. And I know that we've only been able to scratch the surface of that journey. We will pull together some of the, the resources, some of the things that Scott during this time has experienced. We want to make sure that we get those into your hands. So those will be in the show notes. But the, uh, the rest of the story, the other side of the story, as we like to say, is on the next episode. I'm excited to have Susan come and share her perspective because I have a feeling there are some listening right now that are like, yeah, no, this, is, this would never fly. If I'm in Susan's shoes, once a cheater, always a cheater, trust, betrayal. Are you kidding me? This is only a matter of time before this thing rears its ugly head again. All that narrative, all of that self-talk. I have a feeling there's some that are thinking that. And so Susan, I'm really excited to hear from your perspective. How were you able to get to the place where there is a built trust between the two of you? How did you deal with the betrayal, the pain, all of those pieces that I think oftentimes get missed when we're telling these stories. So again, thank you guys both for being with us and Scott, especially for you being vulnerable and willing to share. Anytime. Thanks, Noel. Gosh, I don't think I've gone through an interview that was more in-depth and more articulate than the one with Scott. And in-depth meaning more like heartbreak aspect of like hearing the journey. But I'm, I'm curious, Kenny, what was your take as you heard Scott share his story? What struck me about Scott was what an uncommon understanding he has of, of himself, of where he had to come from. Just that understanding of the, the, the pre-existing trauma and the work that it, in, that it was going to have to take to undo that to basically renew himself. And, and again, even it's such a varsity player level of understanding what I saw 
and I just kept writing these things out as they came out. It's the same thing, the same themes that we keep hearing over and over on this podcast from all of our guests. The things that happen is that there has to be one that, okay, one, I understand and see that there's an issue. And it isn't just me that's affected, it's others that are being affected. That's one of the things that you and I always tell the veterans is like, hey, you know, if you, why do you need to come in and do this counseling? Why should you come in? Because well, this isn't about you. It's about you and the people that you're affecting. And he, Scott had to come to that part. And, and then when he finally made that choice and he says he has to go, now there's hard work involved because nothing that's worthwhile comes easy. And then there was one, he couldn't do it alone. He had to have somebody, he had a, an old pastor friend of his. He had a counselor that understood where he was coming from. He went and got help with that. And I think it might, you know, I'd like to think it was just because you're very selective as to who you pick to be on the show, Noel. But I'm starting to learn that we, you and I don't have that kind of time to do that kind of research <laughs> into these people. They all come out and they say, you know, I couldn't have done it without my spouse being willing to get dirty roll up her sleeves and go back, you know, like what Susan was willing to do when she learned that the relationship had been betrayed and all the pain that she had to push through. But like we've been telling people over and over again, when you get to the other side of that, because it is possible with these things, wow, it's worth it. Yeah, it's totally worth it. And I think the thing that just, it was, I've never heard someone define it this way, but it's an epidemic that we're facing as a nation we know that it's a rampant issue that some are turning a blind eye and others are saying, we've got to address it. And this is this idea of addiction. And the form of addiction takes on many different perspectives and vices. But Scott unpacked it in one simple statement that I thought, man, this is so profound. Addiction is grief that hasn't been processed. And how many of us are dealing with addiction, the vice, whatever it might be, because we haven't dealt with the grief, the loss, the pain inside of us in a healthy way to actually uncover, well, what's driving that? What's the original thing that, you know, whether that's childhood or trauma that we've faced in a workplace, whatever that might be. Like to me, I felt like that was like a fundamental truth that he dropped to say, hey, addiction doesn't define you. It's it's what you do with it, right? And it's grief that hasn't been processed yet. So I thought that was huge. It's a big, and it's just a big pause button on healing. And it just gets in the way. It's this giant moat. And it's, this is why we keep telling people that, you know, we say, you're, we say things like your story matters. And I hear it all the time on the veteran side. I'm like, hey, Matty, how many of y'all out there have family members that served in the military? And almost all the, ra- the, the audience will raise their hand. And then when you talk to them, oh, where, hey, you know, where'd your grandpa serve? Where'd your dad serve? Where'd your mom? What's your, you know, she doesn't like to talk about it. Yeah, well, I know she doesn't like to talk about it, but your story matters. And until you unpack that story and begin to tell it, you cannot witness it. And when you start to witness your story, then you can start to process the grief. And when the grief gets processed, then you can begin to heal from whatever trauma those. I also like that he said the uh, trauma-based professions. Man, nobody ever. You don't. <laughs> what, so, what would you like to go into when you grow up? I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about going into trauma-based professions. You know, like I love that he said that. But until you can unpack that and process the grief, and we do that, why we tell our own story 
is we start bearing witness to the, oh, wow, yeah, that did cause me some pain. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, how do I deal with that now? And who do I want to be now? So I, I love that. It's just that the addiction is just the grief that hasn't been processed yet. Yeah. Well, if you haven't already tuned in to the show notes, you can visit us at strongerfamilies.com slash podcast. All of that, we have not only their story, this episode, but also a lot of the resources they talk about. So I would encourage you, if you're going through something that Scott just shared, don't miss out on actually learning the path forward. You don't have to wait till all hell breaks loose or your life crumbles before you to experience what he's experiencing now, which is wholeness, a whole different understanding of who he is, his identity, all that is available. You don't have to go through his pain. So check it out and uh, make sure you tune into the next episode, which is Susan's story. 